Welcome to Brisky Business. My word, can you believe it? This is episode eight. Wow, two months of episodes already. Thanks so much for inviting me into your home every Wednesday. Joining me for a cup of great coffee and conversation. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to, in our eighth episode, we're going to change it up a little bit because I've gotten a lot of questions from all of you. You know, and I said it right from the very beginning, the goal of the platform is to help you make less mistakes uh, as you venture in your business career. And what better way to do that than to answer your questions? Uh, I want this to be your program. I want to know what's on your mind and I want to hear from you. And you've been writing me at Brisk briskybusinessntvusa.com. That's briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. And you've asked a series of questions. And I love that because that helps me tailor this program to things that you're interested in. Um, you know, I had only one question this week that did not fit into the four segments of the program. And those of you that are watching Brisky Business every week understand that there's four specific segments. But we got one this week, and, it's, and the question was uh, from Irene, yes, from Irene on the East Coast. And she said, what is the significance of the word brisk within Brisky Business? Uh, why are the segments named brisk, and why uh, are they called brisk bits? So she was curious about that. Obviously, Irene uh, wasn't there for the first program. So you always can go back on the NTV USA app and download that app. And all of the segments and all of the programs for Brisky Business live on that app. And you can go back to uh, episode one when we broke that down on what Brisky means. But you know what? It's worth repeating. So Brisk actually is a childhood and high school and college nickname. It's funny, my last name's Brisky, obviously, Brisky Business. And uh, the name Brisk just becomes a nickname. You can't help it. It was the nickname of my older brother. It was the nickname of my younger brother. And uh, it was a nickname of me. When I was in uh, high school, at the same time my older brother was there, just naturally, I was a little brisk. And he, and he was just brisk. And it went that way for my younger brother. So that name, and is since it is a nickname, the idea behind this program was really to soften things up and demystify uh, the stock market and, and demystify business and to be a mentorship. And the way to do that is to have a, to talk to you like a friend. I'm looking for that type of feeling and that type of vibe. So I wove the word brisk into the segment, into the program, uh, because I want you to be relaxed with me. And I, I want to learn more about you. And I want to be there uh, to build your trust. Um, and so the four uh, uh, segments are brisk business basics, which you all know by now, brisks buyer bail, brisk bulls, or bears, and brisk best and brightest. And so that, those are the four segments. So we're going to get started right away with Brisk Business Basics. And I'm going to change up this program, like I said, and we're going to go with your letters. We're going to go with your questions, and we're going to see if we can answer them. And this first one was titled Salesmanship. Interesting. It says, on the, your third show, you talked about salesmanship and how it was a numbers game. I'm a recent graduate with a degree in communication and have taken my first job with a firm that throws all the newbies into the deep end of the pool, apparently, in a bin and says, sink or swim. So they aren't too inclined to help me make a sale. You spoke about sending an email as a follow-up and being short and concise, thanks for that, but that assumes that I've already met with a potential client and had a conversation about their needs. What about the cold call situation, which is the situation I'm in? How do I get them to take my call? And what do I start off saying? And how is it a numbers game? And that was from Brad from Phoenix. 
You know, I find it so interesting how in these tough times, everyone runs to revenue. It's just unbelievable. It does really fix almost everything. When things are tough, you're going to see people really leaning on revenue, and you're going to see sales careers take off. We talked about that in some earlier programs. And uh, that's happening right now with this uh, kind of new economy that we're experiencing. Uh, so the sales process is becoming really, really important. I went back and I reviewed Episode 3 in Brisk Business Basics. Uh, and it was entirely devoted to the sales process within the business plan. And I did say that sales was a number game, but I never really expounded on it. So I'm glad that this question got asked today. Several of you asked uh, what I meant by it's a numbers game. In fact, June, Tommy, John, and uh, from the Northeast, uh, Tyrone and Pete from the Southeast, Chelsea and Jack from the West Coast, all asked what I meant by it being a numbers game. Uh, and so we've got Brad's question, and I'm going to combine the numbers game question with Brad's question and move right into that. Uh, and what a shame, Brad, that uh, your company offers no training. But you know, unfortunately, this is too often the case, particularly when it comes to sales. I don't know why folks don't think that sales is worth training or coachable, but it for sure is. Uh, and you'll be probably surprised to hear this. I don't believe in cold calling, but I do believe in prospecting. And what do I mean by that? Uh, so how do you prospect and not have it be a cold call? I like to do pre-approach. And what is pre-approach? I think it's extremely important. It worked for me in my very, very early sales career, and it works for our sales team already in the sales process. And it can be done in a number of ways. And what pre-approach really is, is when you're reaching out to the customer or your target that you're looking to sell something to uh, and that you have a product or service that can help them. Remember, first thing you got to do is get your mindset right. And selling is a consultative process. So that at the end of the day, your job is to help somebody and your product can make their life easier. And so that you have to get right. But when I talk about pre-approach, you can do it in a number of different ways. I like for me, and it's the one that I used back when I was uh, in my early 20s and I embarked on a, an early selling career, we actually would handwrite on envelopes a piece of pre-approach mail. It could be a little brochure on the company, the product, an introduction, doesn't really matter. But what I've learned is that handwritten um, notes today, especially because there's so much email and so much social media, these handwritten notes, they, uh, they get opened actually more often than not. And so you can send those to businesses. And so I, uh, I, I like to start off with a handwritten note to my target. Uh, I like to email. I like to use uh, uh, a LinkedIn. So if you're in business, I, I highly suggest you use LinkedIn as your medium for uh, professional business reach outs. It's, the, uh, it's really the best business social medium. You can make a lot of contacts there. And then, of course, referrals, referrals, referrals. So the goal uh, for you with these pre-approach is that you now have sent a document. So when you make your outbound calls, you no longer have to think of them as a cold call. You can think of it as a follow-up call. Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so or whatever the name might be. I sent you a piece of information last week and you can then go into your sales approach. I find that um, 
a number of times, they actually will have seen it. Or something in their head, because you pre-approach them, will help them recognize that, geez, you know, I do know something about that. Even if they threw it away right away, and it went by their desk, somehow it's still in their head. The brain is very, very popular and very, very powerful. So if you use, your, uh, use this pre-approach methodology, your, uh, the, the person you're reaching out to, they're going to be almost ready for your call. And I think you'll see your success ratio goes up. So what did I mean by the numbers game? On pre-approach, every week, uh, when I was doing uh, my pre-approach uh, mailings, I had 100 pre-approaches a day, believe it or not. Uh, we didn't have much email then, but this was uh, through the mail. And I kind of encourage you each week to do 100 emails, 100 uh, pre-approach mailings, 100 uh, contacts through LinkedIn, and work your referral network as best as you can. Now you know where you're starting from. You'll know you've got 400 pre-approaches every single week. And your goal then is to what? Do your follow-up phone calls. And from there, your goal is to try to set up four meetings each day. This is the numbers game approach. If I send out 400 mailings or 400 pre-approach contacts, can I obtain four meetings a day or set up appointments for four a day? And that can be a phone call today, a Zoom call, a face-to-face -face meeting perhaps. Any one of those count to be able to present your business, your, prop, your uh, product, your service, whatever it might be. So if you do that, that's 20 presentations per week. And with those 20 presentations per week, you'll need to keep track of how many lead to a sale. And what you might find is it's just two, okay? And so this gives you the opportunity to play the numbers game. If it's two and you, like, you need to make four sales, guess what? You're gonna either have to get better at your pre-approach phone calling in terms of the amount of meetings you need each week, or you're gonna to have to put out more pre-approach contact information via mail, social, uh, or uh, email, or ask for more referrals. And use your referral network. Ask people if they know someone in this type of business or that type of business. It's much easier to make a, uh, an introductory call when someone referred you. Think about that. Hello, Mr. So-and-so. Your friend Jason thought you might be interested in what I have. Or I know you went to school with John, and John gave me your number, and he thought you, he, you might be interested in what I have. That type of approach you will find will give you a higher appointment ratio and therefore a higher closing ratio. Keep track of the numbers. You should never be without the book. You should never be without the statistics. If 400 contacts a week in pre-approach is not getting you the appointments you need, brush up on your call log, brush up on your message, change them up and see which one gives you a better score and lean on that more. Put out more pre-approach. If 400 isn't getting you to your goal, put out 600 and keep working on your close ratio. You should be able to calculate within three or four months how much pre-approach you need to put out each week, how many appointments that's leading to each week, and then how many sales that ultimately happens. And you need to work those numbers because sales at the end of the day, it really is a numbers game and you have to work the numbers. Having those numbers top of mind, that's what's gonna make you great. Having those numbers is, is going to be a scenario that allows you to quantify how much you want to earn. So with that, we're going to close this segment of Brisk, 
Business Basics, and that wonderful question that you have all asked for me. We're in segment two now, Brisk's Buy or Bail, and this is the decision-making process. And uh, this program, we're changing it up a little bit. We're taking questions from our listening audience or our watching audience uh, that have been enjoying Brisky Business on NTVUSA.com or on the app. And uh, you've been come watching us live Wednesday at 4 p.m. And you've been writing to me at briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. And uh, I got a lot of uh, uh, interesting questions, and uh, I tried to categorize them. And so this one's on brisk buyer bail. And uh, let's get right to it. This is on a recent show. You talked about four ratios of evaluating a company to invest in. I've been working on increasing my stock position and diversifying as well. Uh, so this part particularly interesting to me. I also have two teenagers who will soon be going to college and they've been watching the program with me. Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. A family affair watching Brisky Business. Who knew it? You said the ratios are the liquidity ratio, the quick ratio, the working capital, uh, and the debt. Uh, to worth ratio and can you give me a little more uh, information on these and if there's others I should be considering do I need all four uh, to be at in a certain matrix to be considered a good investment if so what is the matrix and uh, what if uh, if one uh, if there's a uh, plan to be scalable but they're not uh, doing well in one of those ratios, would I still personally invest in such a company? And that was from uh, Lucy, Colin, and Amy uh, from Houston. Uh, you know, the purpose of the ratio discussion was to get you doing your homework. Uh, it really was about you understanding that you can reach out and find a balance sheet and that there's, there's a gold in a balance sheet that you can mine there. And it's accessible and it's useful information. And the reason why I picked uh, those ratios is because I thought they were critical ratios for you to consider investing uh, in a particular company. I picked those also because you only needed to know five elements of the balance sheet to actually perform the math on all four of the ratios. So it's pretty easy. Uh, process. The assets and liabilities you need to focus on are current assets, current liabilities, inventory, total li liabilities, and net worth. With those five numbers, you could go ahead and perform the math on the ratios. And as you remember, the current ratio is current assets divided by current liabilities. And it's a very, very important ratio. Um, it's really saying, does your business have enough assets to meet its payment schedule of its liabilities uh, with a margin of safety? And so I don't think you can really eliminate that ratio. And you want that ratio to be over one, basically. Uh, at a minimum, 1.2, 1.3, all the better. But uh, you definitely don't want to be skipping that particular ratio. Uh, and then the quick ratio. The quick ratio is also a simple division. It's current assets over current liabilities. So what does that do? That's your asset test ratio. We discussed it in that prior program. And uh, generally, if you can hit around 0.5 to 1, you're good. You just you're good, you move on. You can consider that particular company. And then the third one was the working capital, which uh, equals current assets minus current liabilities, and that's another liquidity indicator. The reason why we're focusing on liquidity, because that's the amount of available capital or assets you can turn to cash quickly to meet your obligations. So if you're gonna invest in a company, you obviously wanna know that they're gonna be around for a while, and so understanding these ratios is important. Uh, one or less could mean a future liquidity 
liquidity problem. So if uh, when you're calculating working capital, if you see that's under one, uh, something you might want to think about um, and uh, maybe have a little bit of hesitancy on. 1.5 or more, super solid and on solid ground, uh, and they're, they're not likely to have a liquidity issue. The fourth one is debt to worth ratio, and that's total liabilities, once again, division over net worth. And uh, if that thing's under one, no, you bail. Okay, you're not gonna. That's not gonna work for you, and so uh, that's the way that works. Now, you went on with your question to say, well, geez, what if uh, there was something about the company I really loved, or they had a great plan, or they could actually scale in spite of um, their ratios not being uh, up to par or in our criteria? For me, I look at investing in two ways. You need to think about what your smart money is going into. You hear that a lot. There's many, many options. There's many things to consider. But what are you doing with your smart money? And your smart money is the money you're just not going to lose. That's the money that's going to be there. That's that long-term money. Those should be in the most stable of companies. Those should be in the solid companies. Yeah, they should be appealing to you. Uh, it would be nice if they had products that, that mattered to you. All those things would be important. But this is where your smart money is. For me, I think you should at least have 90% of what you're investing in. Uh, in what I call smart money opportunities, uh, lower risk profiles, something that's going to stand a longer test of time. Um, and then when you consider the other 10%, that's when investing gets fun. Uh, when you look at the other 10%, you know, we're talking about um, your friend went to work for a company and you love his company and what he's doing, or maybe your friend uh, went public with a company. Uh, um, but it's just getting started. It's more in a startup phase. Uh, in those types of scenarios, uh, this is what I call my fun money. You know, this is the money that if you lost it, you're going to still be okay. Um, you know, I find this interesting, and I know I've spoke about it on other programs, is Everybody seems to talk about what they have their fun money in. That's why I call it the fun money. I've really not met too many people that invest, that have the discipline to just invest in that smart money investment. They don't take any chances, any flyers, any anything. For them, it's, investing became too boring. I'm not trying to say it's not the right thing to do, but if you can leave yourself a little wiggle room in your investment strategy for that higher risk opportunity that's out there, I think you'll find investing is a little bit more fun, uh, a fund that you can, you're willing to take a, uh, a flyer on something, but you're not willing to risk any of your, uh, your smart money, your long-term money, the money that's going to set you up for your retirement. And I think that's the appropriate way to, uh, to approach the investing strategy. I also received a, uh, another um, several emails about uh, from from the younger population, I guess I would say, that was looking to get started investing, but they they wanted to know how they sh could even open an account. Where should I begin my investment strategy? How do you invest in individual stocks and all of these types of, of questions? And uh, for me, uh, 
it's different now than it was when I was uh, younger in investing. It's there, you have all of these great opportunities where you can uh, easily invest without high fees and high costs. Uh, and there's a number of apps that offer free investment out there for very, very small um, uh, amounts of capital. In fact, in no minimums. One of them, uh, I believe, is Robinhood. Uh, they even give you referrals if you refer someone else to use the app. And so I think in, in the beginning phases, uh, I would be looking for that, uh, that discount broker investment, okay? Uh, and, but keep in mind, I'm talking to you again about your, your fun money, not your 90%. If you're new out in the business world, right now, you should be focused on your 401k. That's where your money should be going. That's where you should be putting it. If your company matches any part of your 401k, figure out what they match, and you figure out how to live putting that much money into the 401k. Because if someone's going to give you money for free, you take it. And many, many companies now will match a percentage of your contribution into your 401k. This is your first money. This is before you think about investing and opening an account at Robinhood. This is before any of that. Anyone just getting started out there in the business world, inquire about the 401k. Make See if your company has one. In fact, I would probably discourage um, someone, if they had a choice between a company with a 401k and without one, from going with the company that didn't have a 401k. That is your shot for retirement, no matter who you are and no matter how much money you make. And the earlier you get started investing in a 401k, the better chance you have for a great and comfortable retirement. So that's step one. Step two, you're gonna be surprised that step two is your rainy day fund. Yes, I put investing in your 401k even before saving for the rainy day. You have to get your head right on putting that money away. You have to learn to live without that money you could put in your 401k. And you make sure whatever your company will match you, whatever percentage it is, you get that put in your 401k. And no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter the color and gleam and glare on that beautiful new car you're thinking about, you put all that on the back burner until you max out that 401k. Once you have that figured out, get your rainy day fund figured out, and then we can start looking at the fun money that you've been asking for and start maybe looking at individual stocks. The cool thing about 401ks, the investment is easy and simple. They're all uh, pretty much mutual funds with a large basket of conservative stocks. Your money is automatically put in a safe place and that's where you need to start off. That's where you go, that's where you make it happen, and that's how you start off your investing career. And so I'm excited to hear from those. Uh, my own children, from their very first jobs, they have been maxing out their 401k. They've listened to that and they've seen how important uh, it has been to them uh, in, for their savings and really setting them up for a retirement. Uh, the, the quicker you can get money into a medium like that, the, the, the safer you are. A real smart person once told me, the hardest $100,000 you'll ever save is the first $100,000. I didn't really know what that even meant. This $100,000 almost seemed unreachable when you're coming out of college. But it's funny, as you invest in a 401k, it just rolls up. But I always stuck in the back of my mind, why is that the hardest $100,000? And then I figured it out when I finally had that first $100,000. Because now that $100,000 was working for me. And I was yielding 5 or 10% on that $100,000. So the next time I needed to save money to get to 100000 
I needed to save a whole lot less. So build that nest egg early, build it big, build it broad, keep it invested in conservative portfolio stocks, and you will see your retirement be set up for you. And then you can have fun with Robinhood or that percent and invest in a friend's company or some company you just think has a cool idea. But get it right, get it right and get started. So we're gonna uh, conclude this segment and we're getting ready to move on to public market segment, Brisk Bulls and Bears. I'll be back in a moment on Brisky Business. Thank you.